Hey everybody, this is Patrick Kolbeck. It's been a while since I've made one of these videos and the reason for the delay is frankly I've been busy. I've been busy talking about election fraud, I've been busy investigating election fraud, um, not just here in the state of Michigan but all across the country and there's a lot to share and I want to share uh, some of the information that I've been um, providing to groups all around the state of Michigan in particular uh, that I think you might find useful. Um, bottom line is I believe we've got a pretty good picture of exactly how the 2020 election was hijacked and how our country was hijacked and why it matters and I'm going to try to give a summary of that in this little video. Um, by the way all the information that I'm talking about here is already posted up at letsfixstuff.org and some of the new information that I'm going to share with you today. Uh, eventually it'll be captured in a documentary called Was America Hijacked? And with that, when I post it up there, we're going to have links to all the pieces of evidence that we're going to be talking about today. So you'll be able to put it in, you'll be able to do your own investigation and uh, go off and uh, evaluate the information that I'm providing. Come to your own conclusion. Um, my conclusion's pretty, pretty uh, solid at this point in time. I've uh, kind of uh, taken a skeptic perspective on this. I actually want to understand exactly um, how does it hold water to assert that this election was actually stolen. And so I've actually taken the scientific method approach to go off and figure exactly um, how, if somebody did want to steal the election, how would they steal it? So I put together a theory of how somebody might go off and steal the election. And then I've been uh, blessed because of what I call our meddling kids from, from Michigan and elsewhere. All these people that are going off and doing their best to identify and catalog and capture um, and analyze all this uh, evidence of election fraud. Many of them experienced this and witnessed this election fraud firsthand, but they've only got a snippet. They've only got one piece of the overall puzzle, and they've shared a lot of those puzzle pieces with me and others. So in an attempt to try to put together a complete picture of how it was stolen. Well, I, that's what I want to share with each and every one of you right now. Um, and let's just cut to the chase, shall we? I believe that the election in 2020 was stolen in four distinct phases. Phase number one, I call the preparation phase. Phase number two is the main attack phase. Phase number three is the backup attack phase. And phase number four is the defense phase. We're currently in the defense phase. And what do I mean by that? Well, the evidence of the defense phase is pretty clear. I can't talk about election fraud. And when election fraud is discussed in the major media outlets, it's always uh, preceded by the word unfounded, conspiratorial, uh, unsubstantiated, or whatever the perfunctory adjective of the day is. In other words, they don't want us to talk about it. Um, there's also lawfare that's going on. I've received a couple cease and desist letters. Uh, there are um, elected officials who are uh, refusing to talk about the election fraud. Um, the, uh, ultimately, this is a topic that if it wasn't for me going around to talk to groups as small as 25 to 50 people all across the state, um, you know, we would not be able to get the word out about what is happening in election fraud, but we're doing it anyway because it's that important. So that defense phase is uh, essentially also accompanied by destruction of election records. Um, well within the 22-month time frame that's specified under federal law in Title 52, Section 20701. All the November 3rd election data is required to be preserved 
up until September 3rd, 2022. And uh, we are seeing evidence right now that that's just not happened. As a matter of fact, uh, Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson has issued directives to clerks in the state of Michigan to actually destroy election records prior to the cessation of the 22 months. Essentially, she's encouraging clerks to violate federal law. So that's what we're seeing right now in this defense phase. Essentially, they've stolen the election. Now they want to keep it. Let's go over some of the other phases, though. How did we get to this point? Well, the preparation phase is something that's been going on for decades. But I'll, I'll highlight the key goal of the preparation phase is to create and exploit weaknesses in our election system. Now, how do you do this? Well, first thing I want to talk about is a key concept that will apply to all these different phases, and that is the idea of the chain of custody. In particular, the election record chain of custody. And I simplify that election record chain of custody into four basic uh, uh, records. One is the qualified voter file. Uh, it's a statewide voter registration file. In Michigan, we call it the qualified voter file. It's maintained by secretaries of state. Um, the next link in the chain of custody is that of the poll book. That's essentially a precinct-specific extract of the qualified voter file that poll workers use to determine who gets a ballot and uh, they use the information in that qualified voter file to determine who gets a ballot and who gets to vote, who doesn't get to vote. And then the poll book bone is connected to the ballot bone. That ballot, of course, everybody understands the importance of that in an election. And then the last link in the election chain of record, uh, election um, chain of custody, is the uh, uh, vote tally itself. So you have the uh, qualified voter file bone is connected to the poll book bone, connected to the ballot bone, connected to the um, vote tally bone. So the uh, if any one of those links in that chain of custody is broken, the election never should have been certified. That means the uh, election processes were not followed, and that's what a canvasser does. They determine whether or not the election processes, election statutes were followed. And if they haven't, there's no reason that they should be certifying that election. All right, so in that preparation phase, what they're trying to do is weaken those links in our election system. And so they start with the qualified voter file. We have evidence in Michigan that over 616,000 people that are that were in our qualified voter file at the time of the 2020 election um, were ineligible to vote. What do I mean by that? They did a voting age population analysis and they determined based on demographics in the 2010 analysis that um, we actually had more voters in our qualified voter system than were of rightful age to be able to vote. And Michigan, by the way, has been losing population. Um, so the idea that uh, we just had a whole, an influx of a whole bunch of new people here kind of stretches the imagination just a little bit. Uh, so uh, furthermore, we have a memo from uh, former Secretary of State Ruth Johnson, who's now a current state senator, talking about 800,000 um, voters that had been put back into the qualified voter file under the new Secretary of State, Jocelyn Benson, that were originally scrubbed from the voter file. Um, so we have a case where they're seeding the qualified voter file um, with voters that uh, probably should not be in that voter file. Uh, furthermore, we see evidence of a ballot proposal that was put out in 2018 designed to weaken our election system. That ballot proposal um, uh, passed into law uh, uh, no reason absentee voting and also same-day voter registration. Those Both of those were designed to weaken our election system. Um, in addition to those um, uh, those activities and those uh, attempts to weaken our election law, we also have a case where Jocelyn Benson, our current Michigan Secretary of State, issued a directive prior to the 2020 election 
that stated that uh, clerks should uh, assume that a signature on the ballot envelope is valid when they receive it from an absentee voter. And essentially doing away with the primary mechanism of validating the identity of a mail-in uh, voter. Anybody can, uh, submitting a vote uh, via an absentee ballot. Um, that signature verification is a primary tool that poll workers use to determine whether or not this is the person that they say that they are. Um, so that, that opens up a pretty wide door for mail-in voting fraud. Uh, and one of the last things I want to talk about, and there's a ton of different areas we can get into in this preparation phase, but one of the last areas to dig into for the purpose of this video that I think you should be aware of is the idea of pursuing an electronic voting system that is capable of being networked together. And why is this important? Because it essentially centralizes the management of our, our elections. So instead of breaking out and managing elections at a precinct by precinct level, when you have an electronic voting system that can network together, at not only between precincts, not only across counties, but also across states and frankly across the whole country, now you've got a capability where you drastically reduce the number of bad actors necessary to go off and steal an election. You can have one guy sitting with an IV drip of uh, Red Bull sitting in his mom and dad's basement in Beijing, <laughs> China, controlling American elections in the extreme case. Um, and I'm not proposing that's exactly what happened in this last election, but I want to get across the idea that, uh, and the important idea that when you put together electronic voting systems that can be networked together, I don't care who the manufacturer is, I don't care if it's Dominion, I don't care if it's Hart, I don't care if it's ESNS or any of the other folks, yeah. Anytime you put together a mechanism to centralize the management of an election system, you are opening the door to significant uh, uh, security vulnerabilities. And I believe that's exactly what happened in that preparation phase. So remember, the preparation phase is all about weakening our election system and uh, by defining, creating, and exploiting weaknesses in our election system. The next phase is what I call the main attack phase. And in Michigan, we believe that this attack happened across all 83 counties in the state of Michigan. Red counties, blue counties, purple counties, all those counties. And what it involved was simple, good old-fashioned, Chicago-style ballot stuffing via mail-in votes, via absentee vote submittals. This is designed never to be detected. And uh, why do I say that? Well, um, this is done uh, via... Um, by, because of what they did to seed the qualified voter file um, with uh, ineligible voters, with uh, um, uh, identifications of who the low propensity voters are, the people that probably would never go off and cast a vote in the election. Um, they may be registered voters, but they're probably not likely to go off and vote. And so um, the bad actors in this case took that liberty to go off and match those low propensity or fake voters two ballots and then submitted them into the process. They dropped them into these drop boxes um, and they got processed like any other ballot. And so, um, and I believe what was done in this case was that they are shaving three to five percent of the votes in all the counties um, for President Trump and uh, putting them into the Joe Biden column. Uh, the uh, And if you shave votes across 82 counties in out of 83 in Michigan, you can actually get to the point where you can actually uh, create yourself a nice little talking point by saying, oh, you know what, 
Donald Trump won Detroit with 5,000, or it didn't win Detroit, but he got 5,000 more votes in 2020 in Detroit than he did in 2016. Um, so you can create narratives like that and actually design this uh, main attack phase so that you can have a, a narrative that you can pitch after the fact. Um, so uh, this main attack phase is, uh, um, like I said, designed not to be detected because as long as your candidate, in this case uh, President Trump, wins the election in that particular county, nobody's going to want to go off and examine the ballots. They're not going to go off and call for an audit. They're not going to call for a recount. And even if they did call for a recount, you have no way. Uh, when you actually have a recount, those ballots that are inside that box, you know, they're going to they're going to tally up to the number that they wanted. There's not going to be any issue with the recount. The issue is going to be the fact that you can't trace those ballots to the to the fake voters that submitted those ballots or the people who did not vote. In, um, but uh, the uh, qualified voter file in the poll book say that they did vote. That's why chain of custody is so important. And the way to detect this main attack phase, frankly, is by going off and um, and uh, the way to address this main attack phase is by doing canvassing activities. If you go off and canvass, um, you'll be able to identify whether or not uh, somebody who's said to have voted by the Secretary of State actually did go off and vote. Uh, so canvassing is a very important way to, to uh, do this, but, you know, that's a lot of effort. And... Uh, um, and if they would have pulled this off in the main attack phase without any any um, any anomalies that would have raised uh, eyebrows or whatever, um, people probably wouldn't be calling for any further investigation. I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now, which is investigating what happened in the 2020 election. So that main attack phase was primarily a what I call an open loop uh, control of the election, where they essentially stuffed the ballot box with as many of these. Uh, um, fake voters, fake ballots as possible to try to skew the election in favor of Joe Biden. Um, all right, so that works well if you predict accurately the voter turnout. But people came out in droves. The voter turnout exceeded um, all projections. And uh, I believe that the people behind Joe Biden uh, had a big uh-oh moment, probably around midnight, right after um, the state of Florida was called for President Trump. And they had to shift to a backup plan, a backup attack. And uh, what do we? What evidence do we see of a shift from this main attack phase into a backup attack? Well, this is uh, first brought to my attention by a brilliant uh, lady by the name of Draza Smith, and I met her out at the cyber symposium put on by Mike Lindell out in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And Draza observed in the election night reporting something that. Uh, only geeky engineer types like myself and Draza and a few other folks would uh, would recognize. And what we saw was the equivalent of a fingerprint, a digital fingerprint for something known as a PID controller. And Draza noticed that um, when she's monitoring the election night reporting results across multiple states, um, as you're looking at the cumulative vote totals, that cumulative vote total all of a sudden drops down to zero in the Edison reporting stream and then pops back up to resume its uh, progression in the uh, vote tallies. Um, well, that's a very strange thing. How does a vote tally go from two and a half million votes down to zero and then pop back up again to two and a half million and change? Well, if you understand uh, the, um, 
how a PID controller works, which is essentially a digital controller. A digital controller, we have examples of these controllers in our thermostats and our homes. Essentially, you have a set point for the temperature you want to keep your home at, and you use a digital controller to maintain that set point, uh, maintain the temperature at that set point. Um, you've got cruise control in, uh, in your vehicles. Um, and essentially what you can have is uh, you, you set your speed that you want to maintain and uh, you have a digital controller that maintains that speed. Same thing with uh, autopilots. I'm an aerospace engineer and uh, you can set your uh, autopilot to stay on a specific bearing um, independent of whatever the wind direction is or anything like that or any other perturbation. So um, the, uh, the, ID, the use specifically of a PID controller has a specific signature associated with the behavior of your output variable. In this case, likely the percentage of votes for um, uh, Joe Biden. Uh, and, um, and when you monitor that kind of variable here, it, uh, it um, allows you to actually manipulate election results to achieve that specific set point. Um, so... I uh, kind of got curious because I, I was um, I served at the TCS Center in Detroit at on election night and uh, through most of the day the next day I was there when they put pizza boxes up on the windows uh, at the time they were counting military ballots which they could have counted any time before that because nobody was doing anything in the middle of the morning there uh, but they chose that time because they didn't want anybody observing the transposition of military ballots to regular ballots that could be fed into the tabulators. I was also there when they had the early morning drop-offs of 3.30 a.m. and 4.30 a.m. with the uh, truck in the back of the uh, TCF Center. Well after the polls were closed, we were still receiving new ballots. Um, and I was also crawling around on the floor at the TCF Center, leveraging the experience I had as a certified Microsoft Small Business Specialist to verify that the tabulators and adjudicators and central stage were actually indeed connected to the Internet. Now, why does this have bearing in what we're talking about? Because if you're going to have a digital controller, it means you're taking some sort of an output variable, say the election results, for example, and then you're using that to come back and push back um, adjustments to those election results to that output variable. And so, um, I, uh, I and throughout the course of that night, I was witness to supreme arrogance in uh, and uh, and deliberate obfuscation over my duties as a certified poll challenger. I was trying to investigate exactly how they were transferring the vote tallies, and I was told that they didn't know how that was being done by a, uh, a multiple-decade veteran uh, state election official, Chris Thomas, and he said he had no idea how the vote tallies were being transferred, which I, I don't believe. When I asked for verification that these machines were not connected to the Internet, I was told to trust the election officials. Um, there was uh, uh, a lot of incidents where a lot of other poll challengers were confronted by poll workers and election officials who um, deliberately attempted to interfere with their ability to observe what was going on at the respective counting boards in the city of Detroit. So there was a lot of arrogance, and, uh, and to top it all off, they were using the Detroit police to go off and escort out um, people who were attempting to do a good job of of overseeing the election they were kicking them out for the most minor infractions thinkable so they uh they were pretty confident that they were going to be stealing the election and uh and anytime we attempted to challenge some of the activities that were going on they had immense arrogance and how they um and they tried to dismiss all of our claims as it's not understanding how the election system works 
And uh, that's simply just not true. Um, we have people that were very, very well versed in, on exactly how elections work. I used to serve myself as vice chair of the Elections and Government Reform Committee in the Michigan Senate, and I studied election processes significantly prior to going into this. So um, it's uh, interesting the uh, tactics that they use. It's complete hubris. So I figured, you know, in that environment of hubris and arrogance, that there's probably somebody along the way that uh, put out a white paper on using digital controllers to manipulate elections. And if you've gone out to my website, letsfixstuff.org, I have indeed found evidence of a white paper on PID optimization. It's a proportional integrative differential controller optimization for use in uh, controlling election outcomes. And it was prepared in 2010 and it was presented at a conference of IEEE, which is the in industry um, association for electrical engineers and it was presented uh, in a city you may have heard of before it's Wuhan China in 2010 this uh, white paper was funded by the provincial science foundation which is likely funded in turn by the Chinese Communist Party so I thought that was kind of interesting and I hope you'll find it interesting there's a post with a little bit more detail on that on my website and uh, upon further digging, I also noticed that Sidney Powell unearthed some patents that were on that were being held by Accenture in Germany for uh, injecting fake votes into an election system. Now they contend they contend that this was done as an audit mechanism for an election, but it's not too difficult to understand how the same type of system could be used to actually inject fake votes into an election. So, which ties in with what we saw happening in that main attack phase with the mail-in ballot stuffing. So, uh, anyway, I suffice to say, I, I got a little suspicious there. And uh, But in order for them to go off and use a, di a digital controller, um, we'd have to see evidence that they manipulate the whole election record chain of custody in order to make that happen. So, the uh, if you're going to use a digital controller, what you're going to be doing is adjusting your vote tallies. And the fact that these were all connected to the internet, um, and we do not have an election night reporting chain of custody defined for any of these different areas. All we have is the Edison night reporting to work from. That alone in indicates some very interesting aberrations. Not only that, what we call that Edison zero uh, that occurred at five o'clock in the morning in Michigan and, and different times in other states, um, but we also see some serious proportional gain adjustments happening throughout the night. So. If you look at it and you say, okay, guys, they're obviously doing some vote tally adjustments through the night, and there's a variety of different mechanisms. Hats off to Matt DiPerno and his team for identifying SQL Server Management Studio being installed on Dominion systems throughout the state of Michigan. Um, there's a case to be made that you can go off and do direct manipulation of the databases containing the vote tallies using that SQL Server Management Studio, and Matt's already demonstrated that in some of his court exhibits. Um, so... If they change the vote tally, now you got to sit there and go back and update and change the ballots. Uh, well, did we see any evidence of that happening? Sure, heck we did. Uh, TCS Center, that's a very good explanation for what happened at 3.30 in the morning and 4.30 in the morning with the late night ballot drop-offs that I witnessed personally out the back of the TCS Center. Okay, so now we've taken care of the vote tally bone, we've taken care of the ballot bone, we got evidence of that. What about the poll book? you got to keep them in sync too. Well, as it turns out, 13 days after the election, the day before the Wayne County Board of Canvassers was going to vote whether or not to certify the uh, 2020 election, um, they got a late night, they got a nice little drop off of a black box filled with 
um, what poll challengers discovered was a new set of poll books for the city of Detroit. And prior to the receipt of this poll books, it's important to note that we had precincts in Detroit that were out of balance by as many as 600 votes. Now, typically about 1,500 votes are cast in a given precinct. So 600 out of 1,500, that's kind of a big deal. Um, and it indicates that something's just not right. Well, after this new poll book set got introduced into the equation, uh, we have uh, uh, maximum amount of balance in any given precinct in the city of Detroit was down to 29. So, vote tally bone connected to the ballot bone, connected to the poll book bone. We have vote tallies being adjusted, evidence of a digital controller. And the primary evidence of that is the fact that it hit a reset um, down to zero for the cumulative vote tally. That's indicative of what you would see when you adjust a set point on a PID controller. That's what we saw. Um, then we also saw evidence of ballots being injected into the system well after the polls were closed. This is 3.30, 4.30 in the morning in the city of Detroit. And then we also have evidence that new poll books were being introduced into the count afterwards. And by the way, to this date, um, the last time I checked, we have still not received... Uh, and the canvassers in this in Wayne County have still not received the electronic poll books from Detroit for the November 3rd, 2020 election. So guys, uh, um, there you have it. That's why we're in the defense phase right now. They went through a preparation phase, a main attack phase with mail-in ballot stuffing, and then the uh, which is mostly an open loop control system. And then phase three was a digital control system with a feedback mechanism on it. It's a closed loop control system in phase three. And then in phase four, we had a, um, we're in the defense phase where they're doing everything that they possibly can, including the destruction of election records to prevent us from investigating what's happening. Um, so I, I wish there was a shorter way of going off and doing it. My old colleague in the Michigan Senate, my mentor, uh, Senator John Papa, George West Point grad, used to say, Colbeck, you got to put this into a bumper sticker. Now, sorry, folks, I wish I could get this into a clear bumper sticker, but the bottom line is... Um, there was a four-phase attack that occurred in our country. The implications are serious. Um, and I, I just uh, encourage all of our elected officials and all of our election officials to take this information very seriously, to start investigating on their own, to see if the, the assertions that I'm posting to you right now hold water. See if you see uh, backup evidence or supporting evidence in your state, in your county, in your township of what I've asserted here. One of the best ways to go off and do that right now is just go off and canvas. You want to validate that, that that main attack phase really happened. They put a bunch of fake voters in or they had real voters that uh, um, that uh, that are real people that were registered as voters but didn't vote. Um, the best way to, to go off and discover all those anomalies like they discovered in Maricopa County, Arizona, through the efforts of folks like Liz Harris, where she discovered almost 300,000 fraudulent voters uh, in Maricopa County. Uh, against a proposed election margin of 10,457. That 300,000 could make a huge difference in the election outcome, don't you think? In Michigan, we're seeing similar uh, anomalies in, uh, in Michigan that could more than overcome the reported 154,188 vote margin, um, a deficit for the presidential race. And by the way, if you think this is only uh, dealing with the presidential race, think again. We believe this is down ballot as well. So... It's important, folks. What are we going to do about it? If you want to start canvassing, go to the electionintegrityforce.com, folks. They're participating in the Canvas 50 initiative where we're going to try to canvass all 50 states. 
please get out there and support that group. And uh, ultimately, we need our state legislators getting serious about conducting a full forensic audit of our state. Um, and uh, start with the qualified voter file. Get that going. Just if you don't want to do the full vote, get an analysis of our qualified voter file. Get a specific list of everybody that the Secretary of State says voted in that last election. Get transaction records for who added those records into the system, who modified them, when they modified them. Get that data out there. Um, the next stage is going to be um, layering in all the Canvas results that we have because that will help you validate or invalidate the information that's actually captured in the poll books. And then the uh, then I, I would submit the next priority is not looking at the individual ballots. I definitely want to look at those. Don't get me wrong. But I want to see something that nobody's done to this date that I think would be very interesting is a um, audit of the election night reporting results. From the precinct level all the way up to the New York Times, I want to see every single timestamp, data stamp, every single election tally, vote tally that's been transmitted at every single step of the way and see if it corresponds with all the precinct vote tapes, uh, with the uh, statements of votes that were signed off by our canvassers. I want to see that data, and I think we are, we are owed that data as American citizens. As a matter of fact, in the Michigan Constitution, under Article 2, Section 4, we are given the right to an audit of statewide election results. Well, I want my right to be fulfilled. And, uh, and by the way, the interpretation of that right is self-executing, which means me as a regular citizen can execute it in accordance with whatever audit standards I wish to do. And I think it's appropriate that we go off and audit in accordance with the whole election record chain of custody, not the kabuki dance that our Secretary of State did with her uh, quote-unquote uh, risk-limiting audits where she'd sample as few as four ballots in a given county here and say, oops, there's an audit, and, and it looks like a real ballot, so it's, a, it's an audit. Guys, no, no more, no more of this fake audit stuff here. Let's get down to brass tacks. Let's take our constitutional republic uh, seriously. Let's take our constitution seriously. Let's take the rule of law seriously. And let's dig into the 2020 election. There is no 2022 election that we can have any confidence in until we address the 2020 election. And a lot of the steps that I'm talking about here in this video about canvassing and uh, examining and auditing the qualified voter file here in Michigan can help us clean up the voter rolls so that we do have a high integrity 2020. Uh, 22 election. So, all right, guys, I know there's a lot to swallow there. I, I, um, I'm going to try to put it in a much more appealing manner, a much more um, uh, concise manner, I hope. I don't know. We'll see how it all turns out in a documentary called Was America Hijacked? But in the interim, I hope this is of value to you and your efforts. They are trying to um, diminish this narrative as much as they can. They're trying to keep you from having any hope that justice will actually be served in this. Don't succumb to that narrative. Uh, be focused on all that is noble, true, excellent, and praiseworthy. The truth is something to be defended. It's something to be pursued. And that's exactly what we're going to continue doing out at letsfixstuff.org. If you can support my efforts out there and allow me to continue this investigation, please do so by joining the Right Stuff Club out at, uh, at the uh, letsfixstuff.org. Just go to rightstuffclub.com and you can help me out there. But uh, if... Uh, you just want to go off and dig into the data on yourself, please do so. There's tons of posts out on the website. and A vast majority of them, including the ones I've cited up here, are available to everybody to dig into. You don't have to be a Right Stuff Club member. I want as many people to know about what happened in that 2020 election as possible. Please be one of those people, and then when you get that info, share it with your friends and family. 
God bless everybody. Knock them alive. And uh, uh, this, this country's still worth fighting for, guys. Let's do it.